The Athletic. Coming up, we'll find out more about Brighton's new manager, Roberto Di Zerbi, after his arrival at the Amex. Leicester face Forest when the Premier League returns. Could the bottom two have new bosses by then? But first, Jack Grealish has openly admitted again that he needs to provide more goals and assists for Manchester City, while Pep Guardiola insists it's not really a problem. Can they both be right? I'm Ian Irving, and this is the Athletic Football Podcast. De Bruyne and there's the opening goal and it's come in a flash and it's scored by Jack Grealish his association with the West Midlands is widely known and the former Aston Villa player comes to Molyneux and scores for Manchester City Right, I'm joined by the Athletics Manchester City correspondent now, Sam Lee. Sam, you've written about Jack Grealish a lot in his time at City. And this piece almost is a microcosm of the criticism, of the praise, of the good things he does, the bad things he does. Uh, You've said in the headline that there's two parts to the Jack Grealish debate. Can you explain them? It's been the same all the way through. If we go back to, I think it was last December, Grealish gave an interview with... It was the BBC and he said, I need to score more goals. And then that was put to Guardiola in a press conference and he was like, I think he's been listening too much to people who, you know, pay too much attention to the statistics. And he was like, there's other things that he does for the team that are really good. And then, you know, behind the scenes, they've talked and Guardiola does tell him all the time, don't worry so much about that because you're doing this. This is really important. We really treasure this. We really treasure that. Um, and that's, you know, so that's been the case for getting on for a year now. It seems genuine as well from Guardiola, doesn't it? I well, was it in is. a press conference on Friday um, when people were asking again about yeah. his output uh, because of Jack's been so open and he was once again post-match mm. at Wolves about not scoring enough, not assisting enough. And when Guardiola spoke about it, there, there was a genuineness about the idea that he doesn't need to score more or assist more. There's just very specific things that Pep wants him to do for his team. Guardiola does want, you know, this has been a private thing, but now it's a public thing because he said it publicly on Friday. He said, we do want him to score more and Jack wants him to score more. So nobody's nobody's really disputing that. But then I think the problem, in inverted commas, that we've had since the weekend is, obviously Guardiola said we didn't sign him for the incredible goals and assists. And what I think he means is, you know, 15, 20 goals and 10 assists or whatever. And then, you know, that was on the back page of the Daily Mail. My colleague Jack covered that very well. And then, you know, Richard Keyes with his big kind of cult following tweeted said I've never seen so much nonsense in my life I think that tapped into a lot of views you know people are thinking this guy this kind of maverick player who can you know light up games and like, plays with like magic in his boots or whatever cost 100 million pounds has gone to Manchester City so therefore he should be you know skinning players left right and centre scoring loads of goals how can you say you've not bought him for that it just sounds like Guardiola you defended him yeah just defending him for no reason you know just saying like oh well don't worry So, and it does sound like he defended him when you say oh it's good that he um, attracts players to him and then gives the ball to Rodri but nobody's ever going to say oh what a player Jack Arilis is he really slows the game down (laughs) nobody's ever going to say that City fans would complain you know Riyad Mahrez came on against Villa the other week and they were like oh Mahrez shouldn't have come on he slowed the game down so they were 1-0 up the whole idea was to slow the game down. You deserve more control. Like that's what City's all about. Jack Grealish slowing the game down and Jack Grealish attracting players to him and then finding Rodri. So he can switch it to the other side. Then let's say Foden controls it, passes it to De Bruyne on the overlap or underlap, and then he crosses it for Haaland to score, like they did at the weekend. 
you know, that wasn't Grealish attracting the players, but that's the kind of move City want to do all the time. So if Grealish plays a part in that, it's important for Guardiola, and it just so happens that that very specific job that Grealish does is very different to what he's used to at Villa, and it's very different to what we're used to. Nobody's ever said that he shouldn't score more. Grealish wants to, as he said a million times, and again after the weekend when he was asked if this criticism is is justified, because he could have easily said, "I do a lot of hard work for the team, and as long as you know, as long as Pep's picking me or whatever." then I'm doing my job and I'm happy. But he didn't. He was like, yeah, it's completely justified. I should score more. So he knows. Guardiola does know. But the other side of the debate is Guardiola's just saying there's a lot of stuff he does for the team that's very important. There's elements of moving to a big club. You know, now he's getting booed everywhere. You can expect him to get booed at Wolves because, you know, Villa rivals. But he's getting booed everywhere now. Whereas before he went to City, everybody wanted him to come on and play for England at the Euros. Everybody was like, Jack Grealish is the one. Yeah, and in the piece as well, You've listed about what Guardiola wants him to do. We've spoken about some of the things already, about drawing players out of position, about playing simple balls inside for Rodri to switch the play, uh, about sticking to his area on the pitch as well, different to Aston Villa, like you were pointing out. The one thing that screams to me about all of this is, if this is what Guardiola wants him to do, he's clearly following his manager's instructions, isn't he? It's a big process, you know. Settling into City takes a year, 18 months, generally, and basically every forward they've had. I remember when Lee Rosane first signed, I remember fans saying, why did we spend the money on, on him? We should have, you know, we needed a centre-back. We didn't We didn't need this guy. And then second season, he gets, you know, Premier League Young Player of the Year. Bernardo Silva didn't do much in his first season. And obviously now, admittedly, not really a forward anymore, but dropped back into midfield, one of, you know, City's best players in the last few years. Aguero was obviously already there, but he needed like 18 months before he was stop getting dropped for big games, you know, because he was doing what Guardiola needed. Um, there's, there's players who have come and gone who didn't really adapt. You know, Ferran Torres kind of had a season in a bit and he's already gone. He didn't He didn't really adapt. You know, it's not easy to do it. But yeah, he is kind of doing those things. That's all it's about, really. This one side of the debate is Guardiola just saying, well, hold on a minute. I do need him to do this and he is doing it. And, you know, from a kind of analysis point of view, I think my role in it is... Sure, and I've always said, yeah, he does need to score more goals, but don't think he's a complete bust because he is doing these things. I'm not arguing he's had a perfect adaptation to City, but it's been going all right. If we're still having this debate in a year's time and he's not been derailed by injuries and he's just not not really clicked, not really scoring, I'll be saying, yeah, okay, we need to see where this is going. Now. Right, speaking of players adapting to City then, uh, Calvin Phillips, obviously a player who joined in the summer from Leeds, had continual issues with injury over the last few seasons. David Ornstein's column on Monday uh, has detailed a shoulder problem that he's got. He needs surgery on it, and it sounds like he's got a race to be fit in time for the World Cup for England. This is going to be concerning for City, Sam, isn't it? Because it's becoming a it's becoming a problem and a recurring problem uh, for Calvin Phillips. You've written about it on the Athletic as well. Yeah, so I wrote in the article that it's a you know it's a bit of a problem for City in the sense that they've lost their backup holding midfielder. Uh, it's a bigger problem for England in the sense that they've lost their starting midfielder alongside Rice. Um, so it is a bigger problem for England, obviously, the World Cup. It's interesting timing, because I think in the past, you know, Phillips, he did this to his shoulder first about two years ago for Leeds, and then he did it at the end of the 2020-2021 season. And that was when it really was like, okay, it might be a bit of a recurring issue now. But they didn't want to have surgery then because it was about to be the Euros. And obviously he played very well at the Euros and his stock rose and, and all of that. But obviously now with nine weeks to the World Cup, it's I don't think there's a 
there's a time frame on it. And there is optimism with City, I think, that he's going to be able to play for England at the World Cup. But what, even if it was six to eight weeks, that again, you can't really compare like civilian surgery to like football surgery. He'll have it with Dr. Raman Kugat's surgery in Barcelona. And I'm sure it'll be fantastic and he'll get the best care. Guardiola said, if it happens more than three or four times, in Phillips's case, then the best option is surgery. And this happened again at the end of last week in just like routine contact and like a, a practice, like a training match. And you think, if that, if it's coming out just because of that and not because of a big fall or something, then it obviously is kind of an, an unstable joint and it needs fix it. But obviously, the decision to do it now, it must mean they think he'll be back for the World Cup. But if it's, normally it's like six weeks, not no contact after a surgery, like whoever you are. Um, and then that leaves three weeks to get ready for the World Cup. So you want to, you know, and to get fit, to get properly fit and match fit. So it's going to be that classic case, surely, of a key England player going into a tournament, not having played that much. And you can't imagine Guardiola throwing him in after like two weeks of training to be like, right, okay, this is your first start for City in like, let, they're playing against, let's say, Liverpool or whoever just before the World Cup. So yeah, the, that recovery time, even if it is fairly short, you know, time is against them. There is optimism that they'll make it, but it does look it does look difficult. It doesn't look easy. And it's just interesting timing because you think they must think he's going to be back, or they must think, well, it needs to happen now because if it's that unstable, maybe it happens in a month's time. And then you've got five weeks before the World Cup, and then you've got no chance. So yeah, it's just very unfortunate for him. And talking about settling into City, look, he'll have time. It's not ideal. But you will get time afterwards, and as long as you know this this surgery fixes it, and as long as he doesn't have other recurring injuries, there will be time to kind of make up for that last time. But you know you can't make up for missing the World Cup. Okay, if you want to read more about Calvin Phillips' fitness issues and his bid to be fit for the World Cup, the piece is up on the Athletic at the minute. And remember, there's also lots of detail, interesting detail, in that Jack Grealish debate piece from Sam as well, up on the Athletic right now. Okay, Brighton have appointed Roberto Di Zerbi as their new manager. The Athletics' Andy Naylor covers the club for us, of course, and joins us now. Andy, I sort of expected Brighton to name someone that I wasn't completely familiar with. What's the background to Di Zerbi being the choice? Yeah, they're always a little bit left-field, aren't they? It's not the first time. It's always an ongoing process with Brighton. They they tend to be very forward-thinking under Tony Bloom, so they're always preparing for the next change whether that be uh signings players uh coaches so they're always keeping an eye out with their modeling which is kind of data driven uh on coaches who are doing well and deserve stood out really uh in terms of being the ideal replacement for graham potter once he left for chelsea there are quite a few similarities between them not exactly the same but just the general philosophy, style of play, very much possession-based. The work he'd done at Sassuolo in Serie A and at Shakhtar. So um, that was a that was a good broad range of work, really, that they'd been able to look at him. So and and the fact that he was out of work, having left Shakhtar because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So it all came together relatively quickly. Really, he was always their number one choice. You mentioned there about him being out of work after leaving Shakhtar. I guess the obvious question is, why did it take Brighton so long to get him in place then if he was already out of work? I guess 
that you said in the piece as well, he's been the clear first choice. He's the only person that Brighton have spoken to. So why do you think that it has taken this 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 period? There's a couple of reasons, really. One was they wanted to take full advantage of the unexpected time they had, really, in making okay. the appointment. Yeah. Because, because of uh, the Crystal Palace postponement, that game was postponed. They were meant to play that on Saturday. That was postponed because there was supposed to be a rail strike which eventually got changed because of the death of the Queen. And they were meant to be at Bournemouth before that. So they suddenly had a three-week gap, which gave them plenty of time. Um, so they made the most of it. Um, they were really impressed by him at an initial meeting. Um, as I said, he was kind of the outstanding candidate, so that confirmed their opinion that that's who they would go for. And there were a few meetings after that just to finalise things. One of the slight delays has been caused because he's bringing in his entire backroom team who worked with him at Sassuola and Shakhtar. This is because Brighton need that because Graham Potter took with him to Stamford Bridge five yeah, it's members. It's a big hole, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah coaching team and, and, and recruitment analyst Carl McCauley as well. So, as you say, there was a big hole to fill and with each of those, there's one or two things to finalise, work permits and stuff. So so it wasn't just a case of appointing one man. You're effectively appointing five, six people. It seems to be his work in Italy that has particularly attracted Bryson to him and those two top half finishes in Serie A for Sassuolo. Is that fair? Yes, it is. Yeah. And before that, uh, he had a year at Benevento. Um, now, they were, they were kind of out of their depth. They'd been promoted and looked like going down with a sort of lowest ever points tally. But he actually very nearly saved them in that season. They went down eventually. But yeah, it was Sassuolo, which essentially, if you like, is a is a club you could probably put on a par with Brighton in terms of yeah. size, stature in the Premier League. Um, they'd only been in Serie A like in the last 10 years. So he had three seasons there. And in those three seasons, they had finishes of 11th, 8th and 8th, just missing out in 2021 to um, Mourinho's Roma to qualify for the Europa Conference League. Of course, Roma actually went on and won that. So that was also very interesting to Brighton because it kind of replicates the body of work that Graham Potter did also across three seasons at the Amex Stadium. And do you think as well there's a confidence with the way that Brighton are set up, that they get so much praise for the way that they um, are so well organised and so well structured behind the scenes? Do you think they're confident now that this is the type of appointment that means there's not as much of a transition as there might be with a new boss? Because especially the fact that He's got no real background of, of knowing Brighton or any links to Brighton or anything like that, any links to Graham Potter even. The, it doesn't seem an obvious continuation plan, but it is a continuation plan that clearly the club believes will provide the least amount of disruption. Very much so, I think. The big transformation for Brighton actually came when Graham took over, when he took over from Chris Hewton yeah. uh, in, in May yeah. 19. You know, that was a big change in terms of the style of play and where they wanted to take the club. So Graham has really put them on that journey. You know, it's been one of steady progression in terms of um, not always finishing position because they actually dropped back to 16th in his second season. But that season, the performances were really the 
good level performances as well. Mm-hmm. There were just little moments that went against them. So it's been that steady kind of progress towards where they are now. He's left them in fourth place. So it's it's the old adage, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, um, carry on with kind of the, the, the similar pathway. Obviously, he's got his own way of doing things, Deserby. But as I said, there are some similar similarities, particularly style of play, innovative, innovative thinker as well. And also has a bit of a track record for for not just improving teams, but improving individual players as well, which has been very much the case with Graham at Brighton. Have you heard any early noises from the camp what the players make of this? Um, we haven't really heard too much so far. He was actually at the uh, friendly. They had a behind-closed-doors friendly on Saturday against Graham Potter's Chelsea because both clubs didn't have a fixture. So he, he <laughs> was actually, these things work, he was actually <laughs> watching that game. Um, that was mainly mixes of um, some senior pros and academy players and before heading back to Italy and for Brighton to sort of finalise the announcement. But um, yeah, I suspect that the, uh, the players are going to enjoy working with him in the way that they they did with Graham the same like I say the same type of style really okay yeah an intriguing appointment for Brighton no doubt at all going to be fascinating to see how Roberto Di Zerbi gets on at the Amex Stadium and like I say Andy's got a piece explaining more about who he is why he's been the choice for Brighton and what's expected of him dropping on the Athletic over the next day or so No action then in the Premier League until next month due to the international break. But when it does return, we have the intriguing prospect of Nottingham Forest and Leicester facing off in what's essentially a local derby. The bottom two in the Premier League at the minute and both managers under huge pressure. The Athletic Nick Miller was at the city ground on Friday for Forest defeat to Fulham. Joins us now as well. Nick, you wrote after that, please don't do anything silly with Forest manager Mr Marinakis. Any chance he does? Yeah, I think there probably is. He, Mr. Maranakis is not a man who is afraid of making ruthless decisions. I think. Uh, I think we can say. I think I mentioned in the piece that um, that he has sacked managers when they've been seven points clear at the top of the uh, Greek Super League. For he's because for those that don't know, he he also owns Olympiakos. Pedro Martins was manager of Olympiakos for the last three or four seasons. He managed to stick it out for quite a long time. Won the league title, I think, three times in a row, and they still got sacked this uh, this summer. And then uh, I think yesterday he just sacked Carlos Corbran as well, which we might come on to in a bit. But after two defeats are of quite sort of similar nature to new fellow newly promoted teams, it's the sort of thing that he sort of thing he's almost likely to take personally and think that you know I've given you all these players, we you know we want a we want some kind of return. Uh, and quickly on this, which is maybe not realistic, but I think is uh, will be could be his mindset. Yeah, you've written in the piece about the fact that it's a, a year this week since Steve Cooper came in to Nottingham Forest, of course, in a relegation battle from the Championship back then, and obviously it feels like a, a similar position now. You said about him performing a miracle to transform Forest from 
that position to get them up into the Premier League. It feels like this may be even a bigger task for him to survive this period because the one thing that's glaring about this situation is Nottingham Forest spent more money in the summer than in their entire history combined. They signed more footballers over the course of the summer transfer window than anyone else. How on earth is the manager, whoever he is, expected to be able to make that work as instantly as, as needed if, if, if that is indeed what the what the opinion is of the of the owners it's it's just impossible i mean that the, the uh, i think as everyone as knows 22 players signed over the summer essentially the whole team replaced there's it's like two teams isn't it well it's, yeah i mean the, the, there are we, we did we did this just after the end of the transfer window there were, you could literally make two sort of proper teams out of the 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 players that have been signed and you know some of those players have looked quite promising so far but that you can see him in every game trying to figure out who are the best combinations, who's going to mm. fit together and work better with each other. As he said after the game, pre-season is usually when you try and work this out, but you know half the players weren't there in pre-season, so it was just impossible. They have said, and Steve Cooper has said, on a number of occasions they needed to sign a lot of players because of all because of the reasons that have been gone over many many times in the past. Half the team from last season left. The other half weren't good. Weren't, probably weren't good enough, um, barring four, four or five. But there, there has to be some kind of understanding that even if you have to make these this number of signings, even if you have to overhaul the squad this much, it's going to take some time to um, to make them better, to make them into a team. There was just basically a, a, a collection of strangers that are being expected to form a kind of coherent collective in a few weeks. The hope may be that, you know, that, that maybe the international break, there he will be given a little bit of patience, given a little bit of time to work on these things. But who knows? I think at the, 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 the start of the season, or the optimistic view would be if I was could just kind of keep in touch with um, the kind of survival places until the World Cup break. And then even with a few players going off to the World Cup, Cooper would effectively have a sort of second pre-season to work with those players and figure things out then. We don't have any kind of definitive information as to whether a change is imminent. It's just one of the things that kind of fits the pattern of how Maranakis works and that I think the, the kind of line that... Um, people have said who will know him more is you wouldn't be surprised if uh, he makes a managerial change in the next uh, few days his second one of the week as well which again points to a, a pattern of behavior you either think well he, he's either he's either got his he's got his fix of uh, a sucking this week so maybe it's sated for the, <laughs> or he's just getting warmed up who knows what's his relationship like with steve cooper evangelist marinakis have, have they been close over the, the last year the success that forrest had is that has that forged something between them or is it a bit more detached than that i, I don't think you'd describe them as you know busy mates but i think that there is a obviously a respect for how uh, things are done. I mean, Maranakis isn't Maranakis himself isn't that hands-on in terms of the sort of day-to-day running of the club. Um, that's more Dane Murphy, the chief executive, and the recruitment team, and various other people. His son, actually, Maranakis' son, is more involved in the kind of particularly the transfer dealings. How often they actually kind of meet and talk, I'm not sure. Cooper was obviously was in Greece a few times over over the summer for meetings about the strategy for the season. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that um, any kind of personal relationship that um, they might have will get in the way of Marrakis making a, a kind of ruthless decision if he, he thinks it needs to be made. 
No, because the other side of that is that Steve Cooper's done such a great job, as we've been saying. You know, his his reputation has only grown over the course of the last 12 months. He's even been mentioned, we spoke about Brighton a, a moment ago on the podcast with, with Andy. He was even mentioned as a potential to move to them. Um, and that's even considering the start to the season that, that Forrest have had. There's the talk of a, a new contract for him at, at Forrest before this, this run of four straight defeats. So... It'd be a it'd be a a big change in in his popularity um, around the club and his reputation in football as well, wouldn't it? If he was sacked at this point, the contract has been a sort of source of concern for Forest fans for the for since the middle of the summer, really, because it was it was essentially agreed in the summer, but it just hasn't been signed yet. Do we know why Cooper? When he whenever he's spoken about this publicly, he's always kind of flat batted the question. I mean, he flat bats most questions, but he flat batted the question, <laughs> saying, you know, doing the whole kind of oh, everyone knows I'm happy here. I'm not, you know, I'm just getting on with the job. I'm not really concerned about that, and you shouldn't be either. But it's kind of inevitable that um, that people would be concerned if you know if, if you've agreed this contract and not signed it yet, then you know. What's going on? There are no Forest fans that want to see Cooper go. They, 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 there is a, obviously a recognition that he did such a sensational job last season, promotion for the first time in 23 years to the Premier League, but uh, and from a kind of such an impossible position, as well as there being a kind of logical case for keeping him, which is you know give him a bit of time to fit together all these players. There is a, there is a sentimental case. The change has been so drastic this summer. That it's almost impossible to to for the fans to form any kind of relationship with the players because the ones that were the last season you think well are they going to get dropped soon and replaced with all the new players and the new players have only been in for five minutes so in in that respect forming some kind of emotional relationship between the manager and the fans is becomes all the more important you know he's he's only been there a year but he's you could obviously you could you could very easily make the case that he's the sort of second most important manager in the club's history after obviously after Brian Clough there are the managers that have done well in the top flight before and won the FA Cup a couple of times but and and also won promotion back into the Premier League but the scale of his achievement last season was such that the supporters the, 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 I can't remember a kind of as, as good a relationship between uh, the manager and the, uh, the, the fans as there has been between um, the fans and Steve Cooper. And this was even before promotion was, was confirmed. You can read your piece, of course. Please don't do anything silly, Mr Maranakis, on The Athletic. Now as it stands, Steve Cooper is still the manager uh, of Nottingham Forest. And of course, as it stands, he will take charge of that match against Leicester. Whereas as it stands, I'm going to say it again, Brendan Rodgers is still boss, but there's there's huge doubt over his position after their start to the season as well, which of course, points-wise, has been even worse than Forest. With the opposite, no players or one new player. It's pretty extraordinary that how the, the, the speed at which things have kind of tailed off at Leicester. I know that there was not a huge amount of satisfaction with what he was doing last season but you know it was only 18 months ago that they won the FA Cup they um, missed out on the Champions League a couple of times by by very sort of slender margins but things just seem to have seem to have collapsed and, and it's not easy, not even as if they were completely gutted in the summer at one point it looked as if you know Madison might leave and then Jamie Vardy might leave as well but obviously Fafana and Kasper Schmeichel who incidentally was dropped by uh, Nice at the weekend those two players were were obviously 
hugely important key players, but it's not like the whole kind of heart of the team has been ripped out. So yeah, it's it's perfectly possible that in a couple of weeks' time it'll be an East Midlands derby with two brand new managers in place. That's crazy as well, isn't it, to think that so early in the season, I'm sure a lot of Forest and Leicester fans were looking for this fixture when Forest came back in the Premier League that it's not Rodgers and Cooper. Because like you said with Cooper, there's so much credit in the bank for Brendan Rodgers for the achievements that he's had at Leicester. But I was at the game uh, against Manchester United a, a few weeks ago and you could sense from the fans actually that there was some frustration, which again is the opposite to, to Forrest, where there's probably a bit more understanding. Yeah, and I, that, I, while I did say that, that it's incredible how quickly um, that's happened, it has built up over the last sort of year or so. I think there, there have been frustrations about the kind of playing style um, or and the defence and particularly kind of conceding from set pieces. It's become a bit of a kind of gag that, that they always concede from set pieces. And actually, from a kind of selfish uh, Forrest perspective uh, scoring goals from set pieces has actually been one thing for us to have done quite well this season so you know I, I think it's the uh, and I, I you know, without wishing to speak for the people who watch Leicester much more regularly than me it's the kind of repetition of the mistakes that is the the most kind of concerning or galling I suppose is that you know they keep conceding these goals the, the, the goals from set pieces thing is just one example they keep conceding these goals from set pieces and Rogers or the coaching staff or whoever are seemingly unable to do anything about it. So, in in that respect, I suppose I, I don't think it's I, I think it's a it's a big surprise that they've been as bad as they have been. But I don't think it's a it's quite as much of a surprise um, that uh, Rogers may you know may leave his job this season earlier than anyone expected. But you know not quite as much of a, a shock as you might think, maybe. Yeah, lots of question marks hanging over these two clubs. Certainly keep your eyes peeled to The Athletic throughout this international break for any updates on the situation for Steve Cooper and Brendan Rodgers as well. Remember, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to The Athletic now and pay just £1 a month for the first six months. Head to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. But for the moment, thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next one. The Athletic.